Hey man, welcome back to 3 Pete Sports. I am your host, Ian Monhe. This is episode 12 now. Doing pretty good right now, honestly. Even after a loss like that, I've experienced worse. Even though that third quarter was... was that, Like, that third quarter was hell, let's be honest. But uh, I feel a little bit more rejuvenated. I have a little bit more energy to talk about anything and everything that involves basketball so let's just jump into this stuff it's a lot of playoff stuff that's going on so again i hope y'all are doing well like i'm out of school now i have a lot of time now before we go into summer school to get as much uh content out as i can whether that be you know these episodes whether i'm updating my draft board for the the draft show next month um even with like these post-game recaps for whatever games that I decide to end up watching, it's uh, it's a really fun time right now, and I'm excited to see what's going to come over the next couple of weeks, couple of months. But let's jump right into everything. We may as well start off with the Suns Nuggets series again, which is something that we're always gonna we're always gonna lead off with this, with my obvious bias. Uh, the Suns, uh. When we last recorded, they were down 2-0 uh, in an embarrassing loss in Game 2 where nobody outside of Book was doing anything for them. They go ahead and they win two straight, and then just uh, a couple of hours ago got their asses handed to again by the Denver Nuggets. I believe the score was 118-102, to and I'll go ahead and fact-check that real quickly if Bleacher Report will come and load up. Yeah, 102-118, and the Nuggets take a 3-2 series lead. And uh, Denver did some interesting stuff for sure. They went ahead and made the adjustment of blitzing damn near every single uh, Devin Booker pick and roll, which was what was really working over the last two games, was having him be the guy that would burst. Unfortunately, Book, while he was on his way to having another really historic uh, game uh, in terms of, you know, his level of play, which has been nothing short of amazing, goes ahead and has this weird foot injury that he tries to play through. And after starting four for four from the field, he only ended up eight of 19 from the field the rest of the way, put in some free throws as well. He ended up getting, I believe, 28 points, yeah, six boards, four assists, eight of nine from the field, four of seven from three, eight of nine from the free throw line. Just not on par with the Devin Booker that we had been uh, seeing over the last nine or so games where it's MJ-esque with the the scoring. The It's been LeBron-esque with the, the dominance. It's been really impressive to see that, and we just didn't get that tonight. Now, whether that injury has impacted him, I, I think that it did, but it's not the reason why we lost it all. We the the Suns ended up falling flat immediately with four turnovers in the first two minutes of the game, along with allowing like a twenty-five to seven run to begin the third quarter after pulling within three. It was just not the Suns' night at all. But a lot of this, while it's fixable for sure when it comes to the turnovers there hasn't really been a good track record of the Suns team 
at least this iteration without Chris Paul being able to limit those. Like we're seeing a ton of Kevin Durant turnovers. Like today it was another, it was another five turnover game. Uh, Durant, he's been great. He's been elite for sure. He hasn't been the special top three player that we had all been, been hoping for and expecting to see. And it's still good statistics for sure on paper, 26 points, 11 boards, seven assists. But, uh, you know, shooting 10 to 24 from the field again, another sub 50% game, which was something that for a majority of this season, he wasn't shooting below 55%. Uh, then 0-3 from three, six of nine from the free throw line. Just very weirdly uncharacteristic stuff from Durant. And some of that does involve like him having to put pressure on himself to make the difficult shots, which was what was not working in those first two games, just him settling for these difficult shots, which led to his inefficient games. I just, I'm thinking that he just needs to be set up a little bit better. I think that we're really forcing it to him. Uh, making him settle for these shots, but it's also a matter of him getting to the basket and drawing fouls, which is what the last two games had really been working for him, shooting double-digit free throws uh, each of the past two wins. But uh, that was certainly frustrating for sure, and he certainly played a part in this weird third quarter where they saw them uh, with a 14-point advantage in the third quarter, the Denver Nuggets, and scoring 39 in that quarter as well. It's just a very strange thing to see uh, from the rest of the team. Uh, Landry Shamit, after his big game last game, played fine, like six points, five boards, three assists. But uh, he was certainly doing everything that he could to blanket Jamal Murray. And I think that he did a pretty okay job at least better than Josh Okoge, who has been a non-factor on both ends, especially as a starter. He only got eight minutes as the starter tonight. But, uh, you know, you have Terrence Ross coming in and banging in three threes. You have TJ Warren getting uh, three steals and a block. Just good overall stuff from the guys that we had been clamp- been hammering the table for. Uh, you know, more Warren minutes, more Ross minutes, because at this point, it's really hard to stop this offense, especially at home, where they had continuously kicked our ass, where we're seeing Bruce Brown go for 25 points, Michael Porter shoot four or five from downtown in the first quarter, uh, Nikola Jokic with another triple-double. You could just tell, like, these guys really know how to play there, obviously so, but... uh at this point, everybody is handling their business at home, and that's what's needed throughout the rest of, the, at least next game for the Suns, if they just want a chance to continue what they're trying to go after. But uh, this is another game where we ended up seeing the the inexperience from the Suns. You could see how seasoned that, that Nuggets team is, at least from a majority of this season, having their main rotation be guys that they acquired in the off season or guys that they have uh, that have been together for a number of years now. And in those fourth quarters, it's, it's been really easy to see the improvements from guys like Michael Porter jr. Who has 
been better with knowing where he is on the defensive side of the ball, uh, being better with reading some of these basic level passes. Like he's certainly taken a step up. Nikola Jokic in the drop has done a really solid job. Uh, it wasn't in the drop. Never mind that. He, they really abused him in the drop, but he's been hedging and blitzing on those pick and rolls, and he's been getting a lot of deflections. I think that he his hustle on the defensive end, his effort on the defensive end has been better and has led to uh, some of these weird stagnation points for the Phoenix Suns on the offensive side. Again, Denver is the best team in the West for a reason, and I think that it, it's going to be a real tough out for uh, the Denver Nuggets from here on out. But uh, Phoenix, what can be done differently? I mean, you you could certainly hope that you get a better DeAndre Ayton game. Again, We I feel like everybody's been saying that for a number of games now, and certainly this loss wasn't on DA because there was a lot of points where nobody played good. But he certainly hasn't been a helpful solution at all throughout this playoffs where it just feels like there's not a whole lot of hustle anymore coming from him. And uh, I think we're going to have an extended conversation about DA relatively soon here, but uh, he certainly hasn't been a, a positive over here. And as tough as he is, he's trying to make it for Jokic, you know, there there's a level of like, okay, you're a max player. It's really hard to go guard him, especially since he has evolved his game from two seasons ago during his first MVP year. But uh, to provide damn near nothing on the offensive end is a little... Uh, it, it's uh, it's a gun punch for sure, especially when it's just Durant and Book having to do everything for this offense while Chris Paul is out. And uh, this is kind of like the, the tough conversation that will need to be had because I was, I was going to record earlier today and make the case about uh Chris Paul coming off the bench which I guess I would still be for but I think that we need to see like the campaign minutes go down to like 20 minutes and then maybe see like a like a 25 minute performance off of Chris Paul off the bench like it's really hard to see how they could do stuff a little bit differently uh with this roster with these rotations and with that being said, somebody's going to get left out, and I don't like the idea of potentially Terrence Ross being left out of the rotation whenever Chris Paul does come back. Again, it's a really tough to, tough position to be in for Phoenix with a roster that's really only played a combined 20 games together, including the playoffs. But uh, Phoenix is... a. Uh, there's absolutely room for optimism here for sure when you still have Durant and Book out there anything is you know i think that both teams have handled their business at home and i think that the role players on both sides have really fell apart whenever they went on the road and i still expect that to continue to be the case in game 6 and i feel confident in Phoenix's chances to win that game six and then game seven is a total uh is a total anything can happen sort of story I mean take a look at what happened to us in game seven last year um again a lot of confidence going for both sides for sure 
but it's going to be an uphill battle for Phoenix from here on out. And uh, I'm going to take a quick break. I know it's only been 10 minutes, but it, it's late. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and take a quick break. There's no ads again. I'm still trying to get my ads back. So just know that I'm going to stop the recording real quick to take a quick break. So I'll be right back. I did want to take a quick break from the, the playoff talk real quick. And uh, I wanted to talk about something a little bit different. There was a, a, a rumor that came out. Or least, do I want to call it a rumor, report? Uh, whatever the case is from, from last week during the middle of that three or four day break between uh, games two and three in the Suns Nugget series. And I'm like, okay, it's weird to have a three to four day break in any playoff series, but whatever. The one thing that I didn't want to happen during that break was for something to come out about the offseason for the Phoenix Suns. And what do you know? It's the it's a local guy that ends up reporting stuff about the offseason and talking about potential changes. And uh, it came from a, a local guy named John Gamadoro on 98.7 FM Arizona Sports Radio. Um, he's, a, again, he's a local guy, but he's also a guy that's a little weird in his son's reporting. Just to put it bluntly, he's a guy that if you, if you ask him about a certain player, are, like, are the Suns interested in this player? He'll say, no, they're not interested. And he goes ahead and makes a list of all the players that we're asking for and are really like in love with the idea of that player on the team, and he'll be like the, the dream crusher. Uh, that's that's pretty much what he is. He's like, all right, you're not, they're not interested in this player, that player, not your favorite player at all. They're not interested in so many of these guys. So drop those dreams dead. And it's just like, oh, Jesus Christ. And that's a, it's a really high hit rate whenever he says stuff like that. And then I would say like at around an 85, 90% rate, he's also right about the stuff when he goes ahead and says that he wouldn't rule out uh, a certain transaction or a certain player to come to the Phoenix Suns. Did that with Durant all the months ago. And uh, what do you know? He's all the way over here. And that's the main thing that I remember. I'm, I'm sure that there's others, but he's a, mainly a denier. But uh, during that break, he, he didn't deny this part on one of his radio shows uh, during the afternoon slate. Goes ahead and says that he wouldn't rule out a, a Kyrie Irving for DeAndre Ayton sign-and-trade move in the offseason. And uh, the prospect of that is just really, really interesting on both sides. And uh, I, I really want to touch with touch on it just because both of those situations for both of those players and for both of those teams are just really interesting. Uh, we'll, we'll start it off with Dallas's side of things. Like it, it certainly makes sense for sure. Uh, they've been interested in DeAndre Ayton for a long time. Like we've seen Tim McMahon talk about this potential pairing for months now and uh it, it's certainly easy to to like that idea of Luka Doncic and a really talented center like him a really talented pick and roll partner and to, just to continue on with DA especially after this playoff run where it, it definitely does feel like he's not helping the team much at all and uh he's taken a step down from 
the playoff DeAndre Ayton that we have really grown accustomed to and the energy not really being there for a most part of it all, I, I think that a split is inevitable. I think that whenever a player signs a max contract, there also comes an ego. And I don't think that there it's an ego that is really damaging to the team, uh, at least like in the locker room. But it, it certainly is something like if you're a max player, you expect a bigger role and you expect a lot of touches. And in an offense like this that really values wing players and and guards, there, there's just really not a lot of room for evolution to DeAndre Ayton's um, his build, his skills. And uh, I think that it's just an inevitable split that needs to happen for both sides because uh, dude the media has been on his ass for from the jump and it's just it's just been really unfortunate because i'm i'm a big believer in da and i think that he's gonna really kill it wherever he goes and in a potential dallas fit like he's gonna get a lot of easy gimmies from luca but it also just might be a matter of like luca is a guy that doesn't like a being adaptable to some of the situations that he's in like take a look at what happened with that Porzingis situation uh this Kyrie situation um I want to say situations pairings um and it's really felt like there's not a lot of people would particularly like playing with a guy that's not adaptable and I think that for a guy that handles the ball as much as he is, like, yeah, he's going to give D.A. some really easy touches, but I don't think that D.A. has has it right now to where I could see his game taking another step up by playing next to Luka, and it's sort of like it's sort of a loss in that column. But who knows? Like, he's very clearly – like, I think that he wants to be somewhere else, and I think that being with a guard of Luka's – talent level that's something that da has been attracted to i mean when he signed his offer sheet from the pacers he was really in love with the idea of playing with tyrese halliburton and getting set up by him and i think that being over in dallas while there's a a level of like there's a level of i don't really believe in luca to be what tyrese can be as a playmaker in terms of being as unselfish with the touches I, I do think that he could really thrive with Luca there as well. It could really go both ways, but I think that that's that would be a good fit. I certainly believe that. But we may as well go on to the um, the Kyrie Irving fit, and it's easy. It's really easy to fall in love with the the fit over here in Phoenix. Um, I have been told personally that. Uh, Kyrie and Devin Booker have talked about a potential um, pairing for a while. And now that's the only thing that I can really say. Like everything's everything that was told was pretty vague for sure uh, in terms of like when that has came about. But if we kind of use some logical thinking to date back to potential connections when Kyrie first requested a trade from the Cleveland Cavaliers, the Phoenix Suns, while it wasn't listed as a preferred destination for sure, I mean, especially not at that point when they were winning 20 games a season, the Phoenix Suns were identified as a top team that was really interested in 
Kyrie Irving. And I think a lot of that does stem from the friendship that Devin Booker and Kyrie Irving have. Now we can date this back to, to recent history where he requests a trade again from Brooklyn. He goes ahead and he doesn't give out a list for sure, but the Suns go ahead and make an offer uh, within the first couple of hours after his trade request became public. And really, they really were interested in Kyrie Irving. And it's real easy to fall in love with the, the scoring archetype that he has um, and the potential running gun ability that that trio may have of Kyrie, Book, Kevin Durant. The shot making, the dribbling would just be elite from that standpoint. It's really easy to fall in love with it for sure. And uh, I I don't doubt uh, I don't doubt I don't doubt I I don't think that that friendship between Kyrie and Durant is as fractured as people want to make it out to be. Especially when there is a report all the months ago that was saying they have interest in continuing playing together, just not in Brooklyn. And I think that there's an obvious fit over here in Phoenix for sure. Especially when Chris Paul, his contract. Uh, is not coming up, but you could easily move off of it. He's 38 years old. You want to get younger at that position. You want to continue to win and win a championship at that with Devin Booker and Kevin Durant as your main options, and you could go get Kyrie if you really wanted to. I think that there is legit mutual interest in there. But unfortunately, stuff isn't as easy as it is. Like Sign-in trades are really complicated to make. Uh, there's a bunch of maneuvering that you're going to have to do with salary uh, maneuvering in terms of you know how you have to go about the new cba rules that will be coming into play in this offseason there's certainly a level of risk there but then there's the ethical debate of having kyrie irving on your team and it sucks because as a basketball player he's so talented and it's so easy to fall in love with what he does on the court but we, it goes without saying that you know there's there shouldn't not be a uh he shouldn't be totally free and clear of everything that has happened off the court whether it be comments about the vaccine and being a conspiracy theorist reposting a movie that uh was hurtful to uh particular groups like he's certainly an a controversial figure for sure and that you know from a PR standpoint can can hurt a team and can hurt himself as well you know here's the thing I I don't think that it's right to control a grown man I think that that's what a lot of these teams had a hard time doing was they they kept asking themselves how can we control Kyrie and the antics that he has off the court or whatever the case may be. Um, or at least the stuff that is that would be deemed as controversial, unpopular. And, uh, you know, I think that, you know, from a PR standpoint, there's a lot of positive stuff that Kyrie does, whether that be helping out in fundraising, um, you know, making public appearances, going ahead and, uh, donating generous amounts of money uh, to people of need all around the world. Like I think there's a lot of positive stuff that you could take away from him that would 
you know, if you just went ahead and promoted it as a PR team, whether that be from uh, a team standpoint, whether that be his own representation, I think it just has to be broadcasted somewhere in order for that negative attention to go away. Uh, I think that was something of a concern with Jimmy Butler for different reasons. Like people want to, con- to control his behavior with his teammates for sure. But it, like that just goes without saying, like there's a level of authenticity that Kyrie Irving wants to remain. Um, and I think that's, that, that's going to be an ethical debate between teams that are interested in him. Everybody's interested in the player, but can they, tolerate the the off the court stuff or just yeah the, i would say like the potential negative energy that comes with him but I, i'm looking at it from a phoenix standpoint and i'm thinking there's obvious friendships here with book with durant i think that over here in phoenix where there's like this isn't a big market team for crying out loud this is this is phoenix arizona this is like the the backup buddy to Las Vegas, which is the backup buddy to LA for crying out loud. Like they're like, I think that they could play a little bit more attention free basketball for sure. But I also go ahead and think that the, the Suns have been interested in him for a while and tried to bring in both Kyrie and Katie in a trade uh, at the deadline last, uh, last February. Was it February? Jesus. Um, and they're doing that knowing the stuff that has gone on with him that doesn't involve basketball and they continue to show interest so if there is if they're continuing to to show that interest i go ahead and think that they have thought through all the potential negatives that may come with him and know how to make this situation turn into a positive for him and that gives me a level of confidence that a potential pairing with Kyrie and the Phoenix Suns could work and that I have trust in the ownership in the organization to be, you know, tolerable. Uh, Kyrie Irving to be tolerable. And uh, I think that it's... It's an interesting concept for sure. I can't believe I talked about this for 15 minutes. I don't think that this deserved 15 minutes of time. But uh, again, like it's a really interesting concept that I think will be discussed more and more as the the weeks go on. And uh, something that you know, if I had, I wouldn't say if I had to put my money on it, but I, I would be interested. I would be interested in in Kyrie Irving if I was the Phoenix Suns, and I think that would be really fun to see. We'll try to make this part really quickly because it's it's old news as well. Uh, the Milwaukee Bucks, after getting gentlemen swept by the eight-seeded Miami Heat as the best team in the league, went ahead and fired Mike Budenholzer, which is it, it's unfortunate timing for him as well, uh, going ahead and getting embarrassed in the manner that they ended up getting embarrassed with in. Um, on top of like the... The personal issue, that personal issue, problem? No. It's a it's a family matter where his brother ended up passing away in the middle of the series. And that, that like that's that really sucks from a human standpoint to go through something personal that's really tough, then continue to have to 
do your job and then lose your job in that same aspect. It it's really hurts from a human standpoint. Absolutely. Now, regardless, it, it something big had happened to this Milwaukee Bucks team. Whether that was the coach, whether that is, you know, a personnel change, and they still have personnel changes to make, but they couldn't run it back with this group at all. Let's compare it to some of these other teams, right? The the Utah Jazz ended up getting their asses handed to, blowing a 2-0 lead uh, against the Clippers, the Kawhi-less Clippers at that, which is like not... It's not that part that's embarrassing because the Clippers were still a really damn good team even without Kawhi. But in the manner in which they lost, where they ended up blowing the 2-0 lead, where they blew double-digit second-half lead after double-digit second-half lead, and them just completely collapsing as you know the number one seed in the West and the, the best overall record in the league, getting embarrassed in that fashion, while also having the cherry on top be the eighth man, the ninth man in the rotation, and Terrence Mann going for damn near 40 points in the closeout game. That is, uh, That was unprecedented at that point, but the Jazz decided to run it back with that core, go ahead and make some marginal changes, and unfortunately, that became a part of their identity. The next season, they kept blowing second-half lead after second-half lead, and and the ultimate demise of that core ended with a 4 to 1 series loss to the Dallas Mavericks that was that were missing Luka damn near that entire time and they had to blow it up at that point and we could go on to Phoenix too which you know they ended up doing close to the opposite even though it took a little bit uh after that game 7 embarrassment uh against the Dallas Mavericks they go ahead it took a while to get the trade done, but they went ahead and made a big shift in their core going ahead and acquiring Kevin Durant. While it was a tough goodbye for Suns fans to go ahead, um, for Suns fans to see Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson, uh, fan favorites leave the organization, this was what, what had to be done if you wanted to continue being in this contending range. And Kevin Durant gave the best opportunity to do that, and sure, like... They probably won't win it this year, but they had to make that change in order to keep whatever core that they had going to make sure that Devin Booker stayed a Phoenix Sun. Like that's how dire this that situation was going to be if it ended up, you know, if they ended up not making any trades at all or just some marginal trade where they end up getting five second round picks for Jay Crowder, that was going to be a really bad sight. Now tying this back to Milwaukee. They went ahead and saw Bobby Portis give a combined 15 minutes in the last uh, two games of the series. A guy that they ended up paying uh, this past offseason. A guy that was a perennial six-man-of-the-year candidate this year, averaging close to a double-double off the bench. They went ahead and traded the remaining draft capital that they have, trading five second-round picks for Jay Crowder, who ended up playing a whopping 40 seconds combined in the last two games as well. We see Drew Holiday shoot less than 40% from the field, which is something that has been a recurring theme throughout his entire playoff career. Chris Middleton only really showing up for that game five while also dealing with a bunch of injuries in the lower extremities this season. Giannis, while being the best player in the world, sure, going 10 of 24 from the free throw line at home is just extremely unacceptable, especially against that eight seed where they ended up 
having it, they were supposed to have it easier when Tyler Hero went out with an injury, and they got outclassed in every single facet. And now this is where like the tough decisions need to come in. How much of the coaching staff are you willing to change up outside of Mike Budenholzer? Like you can't bring in, you can't elevate Charles Lee, the assistant, just given how long he's been with Budenholzer, dating back to those Atlanta Hawks days, and uh, a guy that certainly has the same philosophies and has the same energy that will that would have remained with that core. And then you go to guys like Chris Middleton, who has a player option, which I expect him to pick up, but there's always a possibility of him declining it and entering free agency. Brooke Lopez is 34, 35, an unrestricted free agent, and they're going to have to pay top dollar, but you just have no idea if the success that he had this season is going to translate next year, especially for a player that has had so many back issues. Will that continue to persist this, uh, this upcoming season? They have Jay Crowder to re-sign. They got a couple of other guys like Joe Ingles potentially to that need to re-sign. They don't have a lot of draft capital. They don't have a bunch of cap space. They don't have any exceptions because of the new CBA that's going to be coming into place. What avenues do they have to improve on this core? You know, what what players? You know, what are you going to get for Bobby Portis, Grayson Allen, and a second round pick? What could you possibly get? Are they going to go ahead and trade off Drew Holiday? Are they going to go off and trade Chris Middleton and get some marginal pieces? Who like who, something big outside of that head coaching firing needs to happen because it, it's a you really fear that this just becomes a part of them where they go ahead and play below their standards over and over again. They can't come back with this same roster. It's going to become a part of them. They have to go ahead and make some big-time move outside of this firing, which was a small step uh, in the right direction for sure. But, man, like, Mike, the the Milwaukee Bucks are going to have to really have these tough conversations. And I would certainly expect their team name to come up in potential um potential deals for guys like Damian Lillard teams like uh you know players like the uh Trey Youngs of the world as well like I expert I ex- certainly expect their uh team to come up in a bunch of rumors but it, it's real spooky right now in Milwaukee for sure and if nothing changes or on you know personnel wise if nothing changes throughout the roster then you could really expect uh something even more drastic to happen and see a potential Giannis trade request. So they have to figure something out really, really soon. And I guess we'll go back to the playoff stuff. We'll stay in the West real quick with the Lakers going up three to one on that Golden State Warriors team. It's real interesting for that Lakers team that I don't think has played their best ball. It's very clear that LeBron has been not himself at all this series, shooting sub 25% from downtown. And uh, he very clearly just doesn't have the same burst right now. And obviously so with his his foot injury that, you know, he should be out for the season instead of like whatever, whatever drugs they're inserting in that man to go ahead and continue playing at, you know, pretty good strength. But uh, Anthony Davis has been a top five player this playoffs for sure. 
a guy that has been an absolute menace on the defensive side of things, limiting opponents' field goal percentage to sub 40%. Uh, I want to look up Anthony Davis's defensive stats for this playoffs. Uh, I, I just n- know that it's really good. Because uh, I remember that first game against Memphis, he went ahead and had like a a 10 steal plus block game, which is really just unheard of. But, he, you know, through f- 10 games, he's averaging 21 points, 14 boards, four blocks, along with how many steals is that? Along with two steals. He's averaging 5.2 stocks steals plus blocks per game which is really unheard of from his end as a defensive player he is continuing to shine there his offense is certainly spotty the last two games he has been really solid like plus 22 plus points uh in the last two games which is what they need they clearly need somebody to step up in the wake of lebron's injury and just clearly not being himself and his offensive performances are really high highs and really low lows, and you don't like that inconsistency for sure. But even then, it just feels like one of those other role players just continues to step up. You know, one game we're going to see a D-Lo masterclass, dare I say, like a good 20-point performance. Like, he doesn't really have these elite performances at all in the playoffs, and, you know, there's certainly spurts where they have to go ahead and lean on Dennis Schroeder instead of him. But even then, you can see moments where Dennis Schroeder has come up big for him. Rui Hashimura and Austin Reeves have really done a a good job in stepping up in uh, plenty of these games, this playoffs. Lonnie Walker was the hero of last game, scoring 15, all 15 of his points in the fourth quarter to essentially win the Lakers that game four to go up three to one. But that's like the the good thing about this Lakers team right now is that it even when there's one of those two guys, those two main guys aren't really rolling as much as you would like it like for them to. There's always at least one or two other guys that are really stepping up, and I think that just defensively, particularly with Anthony Davis and Jared Vanderbilt, I think that that's really been their calling card. I think that the energy and the effort has been there. Uh, on the defensive end, and they've really bought in. And sure, it's, it it is certainly a challenge to go ahead and stop Steph, but they have completely taken out Jordan Poole from this series. Uh, they've done a really good job at limiting what Clay could do to them. Uh, Draymond in the same boat. You know, it's they they took Kevon Looney out the series. For some reason, they're not playing him in the starting lineup, and I thought that he would be a really nice rebounding piece for him but you know the lakers defensive game plan to go ahead and um just make it hard on steph and force jordan Poole to make a play and clay thompson to make the play that's the right move even if steph's going to continue to get his own i think that the lakers have been very impressive very very impressive and i really hope uh I, I root for the success of Rui Hashimura, and that's it. I, I don't like any of these fan bases. I don't like any of these teams. But I hope Rui succeeds because he's probably, dare I say, my favorite player in that series. 
the Warriors is tricky because, you know, Jordan Poole, I think that uh, that's the one of the main talking points, especially after uh, two nights ago now where he goes ahead and, um, you know, his energy is clearly down in the locker room and there, it's just a tension-filled locker room after that game four loss where he goes ahead and plays 10 minutes, doesn't score a point, goes 0 for 5, turnovers galore. He's certainly taken a step down in that department. And you could go ahead and say whatever you want about the punch. Let's be honest, like that was the beginning of the end of their season this year, that something wasn't going to fall into place for him. Then they go ahead and have this really bad road record, and that has continued in the playoffs this year. Just a lot of like not so good energy over here. But uh, Clay is also like this is just a boneheaded team where we see Clay trying to be this shot creator, and that's clearly not what he should be doing. Like that man is supposed to be moving off of screens in off ball action, catching and shooting, or maybe like a one dribble pull up three mid range jump shot. But what they're trying to make him do is is what the Lakers want them want him to do take away shots from everybody else and take these heavily contested mid-range shots that clearly just aren't working for him. And uh, he took maybe three or four boneheaded shots last night that made you think, just, oh, get him out the game. And then you see Jordan Poole playing bad, and it's like, oh, Jesus Christ, Like, what do they have? And then Draymond going ahead and uh, being a robot, I guess you could say. like That play that they ran near the end of the game you know that it was obviously designed sure but it felt like there was no creation uh, or willing creation out of his end where he could have you know dribbled around and you know waited for some more screens to go ahead instead he goes ahead and makes this jump pass that ends up directly into the hands of Anthony Davis with no shot of going anywhere else and it's just like oh then you make that play and then Steph goes ahead and throws it out of bounds immediately when he gets a jump ball with five seconds left. And it's just, oh my God, like every, everything is falling apart for him. And it's just weird, the energy that's around Golden State. I don't, I'm not sure what else they can do because Jordan Poole right now is unplayable, but I think that just having the threat of him could really work. And uh, I guess just to continue talking about Golden State, how they can come back, you know, regardless of whatever that corgi dog on Insta on TikTok is saying uh, that they are going to come back from a three-one lead, the only way that happens is if you completely buy in on Steph and Andrew Wiggins being the main shot creators and ball handlers for the rest of that series. I've really liked how Andrew Wiggins has stepped up in that department, being able to make shots off the dribble, which is just something that Jordan Poole and Clay Thompson at this point in their careers aren't comfortable with and are not doing a very good job with shooting and taking. Went ahead, 17 points, 6 of 14 from the field, 2 of 6 from 3 uh, last game, 2 steals. Obviously not the greatest stat line, sure, but I think that those guys as initiators are better options than what you have with Jordan Poole and Clay. And I think that having those two in particular in uh, off-ball settings, curling off of screens, shooting catch-and-shoot jumpers is just kind of the way to go and just allow Steph to cook, allow Wiggins to cook. I think that there's something, uh, you know, even if Jordan Poole is just an expensive decoy, 
I think that just using him in that role is way better than putting him in this uh, this initiating role that he has had a hard time with replicating from last season throughout this season. I think that's really the only way that they could get themselves back into this series. But even then, it, it's it's a risk, and they're going to have to take risks from here on out because their their backs are against the wall, and they're going to have to go ahead and make some crazy adjustment and I think that should be the crazy adjustment going forward but right now it's really looking like a a Lakers uh, stint in the Western Conference Finals this year all right what series I think we'll talk about this Miami Heat New York Knicks series because there's not a whole lot to talk about right here like the Heat are dominating the series as well they're up 3-1 on the the New York Knicks after what seemed to be just like one of those kill shots last game um, where the Heat ended up winning only 109 to 101, but they were really handling their business that entire time. Uh, Jalen Brunson with a cool 32 points and 11 assists. Um, it's it's good stuff from Brunson. He's continued to show out this playoffs, but you know Julius Randle from an efficiency standpoint has been frustrating for sure. Uh, from a turnover standpoint, it's been extremely frustrating on his end for sure. There's just not a whole lot of trust outside of Jalen Brunson uh, for me to go ahead and say, oh, they have a really good shot at coming back and winning the series. Even with a guy like R.J. Barrett, who I think has been really, really good um, after those first two games in the playoffs being just as horrendous as they were, I think that he's been really efficient. I think that he's been really decisive with the ball. I think he's been really creative with his finishes. And uh, I think that he's just looked the part as an overall smarter player uh, throughout this series. Again, a 24-point, four-rebound, three-assist performance on 9 of 16 shooting, 3 of 5 from downtown uh, in the last game. I think that he's just a, he's just beginning to, to show out a little bit more. And uh, in the end, I don't think that it's enough. Emmanuel quickly is out with this. Uh, I think it's an ankle sprain. It looks to be. And that's an obvious offensive initiator. But even then, he hasn't performed well in this playoffs either. I think he's averaging way less than 10 points per game off the bench now. Uh, Obi Toppin has been airballing a ton of threes this series for sure. Uh, Josh Hart continues to bounce in and out at the starting lineup and uh, as the sixth man. There's... It's a young team that clearly has the inexperience. It's really showing there. That's why I don't really believe a whole lot in what, uh, in the Knicks' chances of coming back into this series. But this is certainly a season to go ahead and say, okay, we have a building block right here with Jalen Brunson, and they have a boatload of contracts, cap space, intriguing players to make me think, okay, maybe they are just a star away. And if they are just a star away, then I think that they are in a really good spot. Cause I think that a lot of these guys, especially RJ, who's I just think has been the most impressive uh, player outside of Brunson, this entire playoffs for New York. Uh, I think that there's some positive momentum going here and the Miami heat. What the hell got into them after that play and loss? Like, that was super surprising to see them win that first series. And then they go ahead and they are just kicking the Knicks' ass this entire series. 
And that's just a testament to Eric Spolstra, who is easily one of the best coaches in this league, going ahead and bringing in this undrafted commodity, this undrafted talents, guys like Haywood Highsmith putting in, you know, quality six minute spurts. You get you have guys like Gabe Vincent as an undrafted free agent coming in and taking the starting role instead of Kyle Lowry. You bring in Max Struess and he is bombing threes for you. You have Duncan Robinson who was inefficient last game but has been bombing threes this entire playoffs and stepping up in the middle of Tyler Hero's injury stuff. And Jimmy Butler has probably been the second best player in the playoffs so far and he has been extremely impressive. There's some really good positive energy over here that makes me think like before this playoffs I was thinking all right this stuff isn't working. Maybe you trade Jimmy Butler to say like the Memphis Grizzlies and you try to build around whatever you can with um, the pieces you get back in a Butler trade and bam at a bio. But now it's just over here making me think like, oh, they need some other star to be here real soon because Butler is really primed to go ahead and get a championship at some point with the Heat. Not saying that they will. I just think that he is, his determination and sheer will is just as inspiring as, you know, anybody else. And I think that that could really rub off a star player the really right way. And I think that they have the opportunities to do so, along with them just being a big market as well. But uh, the I've really been intrigued with this Kyle Lowry off the bench and Gabe Vincent in the starting lineup. It's modernized. It's a modern starting lineup now where, you know, yet they bring in Kyle Lowry on a $30 million contract for, for three years. And uh, he hasn't been what they were hoping they were. And he's older now as well. They signed him at like age 35, age 36, and uh, there is always going to be a point where he's going to tail off a little bit and he's going to want to play this, uh, play these half-court sets, um, play in these uh, slower-paced offenses. And I think that those sorts of molds are a little bit better for coming off of the bench, especially if you just have him in there in the fourth quarter where his energy is kind of saved up a little bit. And when everybody else is tired, they, they could go ahead and run these half-court sets that r- would really benefit in, no, in those runs. And it allows guys like Jimmy Butler, but when he comes back, Tyler Hero, Bam, Max Struess, to go ahead and play with a little bit more space with an up-tempo offense. And Gabe Vincent is one of these modern, he's a combo guard, sure, but he's a guy that plays up-tempo, uh, runs up the court real quickly, and it allows other guys, to, uh, you know, that in itself creates space for other guys, and it allows these other players like Butler, like Struess, to go ahead and make plays with the extra space that they are given, which is something that, you know, that logic should apply to the Suns, absolutely. You know, have Chris Paul come off the bench, play a little bit faster in the starting lineup. But uh, everything for Miami is really clicked, as well as just their three-point shooting, which is something that they were horrible in this entire uh, season, or this entire regular season. We're seeing a lot more threes be shot up. You know, guys like Duncan Robinson putting up seven, Caleb Martin putting up five, Max Struess putting up ten. And uh, they've just been really, 
elevating their play. And uh, this we could potentially see an eighth seed in the Eastern Conference Finals, let alone a conference finals. And that's really, really cool to see. I'm happy for Miami. I think that they've been waiting on something like this for a long time. And I think that the positive energy is going to continue to flow going forward. And then we could go on to this last series, the uh, the Sixers and the Celtics, which has also been just a great series. Like these playoffs have been so damn electric. I've loved it. The Sixers go ahead and win game six. Game six. They want to go ahead and win game five and take a 3-2 series lead, heading back to Philly on Thursday. I'd like to think Thursday. Yeah, they play Thursday. And... Uh, it's weird to like Embiid has been like he, this is an injury that he has. Whatever, what is it like a PCL sprain in his knee? Like this is something that he shouldn't be, even be playing on, let alone dominating on. With you know he had a thirty-three point seven rebound game with four blocks, <laughs> like and these were athletic blocks too. Like one of them was a chase down on Jalen Brown. In on a fast break attempt, it was really nice. Um, Tyrese Maxey had uh, a really damn good game in game five 30 points, seven boards, three assists on six of 12 from downtown, 10 of 21 from the field. Then you get another one of these Harden, you know, classics, just regular, uh, just it's just a regular day in the house for him in Philly in particular with like this 4 of 8 shooting performance, 8 of 10 from the free throw line, of course, 17 points, 10 assists, a cool 16 and 11 from Tobias Harris. Daniel House got some more minutes this game, put up 10 points on 5 of 7 shooting from the field. I've really liked um, what Philly has done, and I, I could definitely go ahead and make the case that the Nuggets have been the best uh, team in the playoffs so far, but and that would probably wear out, be where I would lean towards. But I have no problem with anybody else saying that the Philadelphia 76ers have been the best team in the playoffs so far either. Like Embiid is still playing uh, pretty elite basketball so far. It's surprising that he's able to do what he's doing on that that injured of a knee. And uh, he's also just been better this series in particular with his playmaking like yeah you could throw double teams at him and that really worked in that first round but I think that as this series has gone on he's been better at having a feel for him and navigating him and making the right reads I think that he has made strides in that department as the playoffs have gone on I think that Tobias Harris has played a really underrated role as like this bigger bodied almost like a stretch four. Um, and Tobias is supposed to be that fourth option, obviously, in my opinion. Like, it should be Harden, it should be Embiid, it should be Maxi getting shots up before Tobias. But Tobias Harris has been shooting the ball at a very efficient clip this playoffs. I remember that game four uh, series clinching sweep over the nets, and he was hitting big three after big three you know, creating in the post. I think that he's really benefited off of uh, James Harden, who has finally found an ability to turn it on and off when it comes to um, 
when it comes to scoring, sure, but he's also found a way to just include everybody uh, throughout this playoffs and, and has been able to get it for himself too, already putting up two 40-plus point performances in this series alone and really showing the classic uh, James Harden that we had all been grown accustomed to. And Tyrese Maxey going ahead and coming up big, especially from beyond the arc. He had had... Uh, in this series in particular, not it hasn't been a bad series, no. But there was certainly some stuff left to be desired, and just having as good of a three-point performance on the road as he did in this game, it, it really does inspire a lot of confidence in uh, the Sixers team. Um, I do think that whoever wins this series ends up winning the NBA Finals. I'm just not a believer in what the Western Conference has to offer against those two. And uh, I really really like how Philly has gone about rotations, which is something that uh, a lot of fans of Doc Rivers-led teams have had issues with, but I think that he has really nailed it this series in, in terms of rotations. I think that these guys have been playing at borderline elite levels, uh, particularly with guys like Maxi, particularly with guys like um, Tobias Harris, like elite in their roles is what I'm trying to say. Um, and I think that you, even guys like Melton coming in and um, being a pesk on the defensive end, being able to get good quality minutes out of Daniel House and Georges Niang and Paul Reed over the course of uh, how many games has it been now? Nine games so far for them in this year's playoff run. They've really inspired a lot of confidence in, uh, from me. And uh, I think that right now they are my favorites to end up winning the NBA Finals. I really like everything that they have done, they have built, and they have positioned themselves up really well to do something really special in Philly this year. And now we could go to Phil Philly. We could go to Boston. and Just another weird performance from this team in particular that seems to have cooled off after that those first like two or three games in the playoffs where they're shooting like how they were at the beginning of the season, just at the this elite clip that we wouldn't ever, ever see. And they've certainly regressed to the mean, and this was a, this was very clearly a must-win. And they go ahead and they shoot exactly 40% from the field, 32% from three, 74% from the free-throw line, while shooting 34 free-throws. Only eight turnovers, which is a good thing. But uh, it certainly feels like the energy has been off a little bit, where it, it seems like, you know, for, particularly for a guy like Jason Tatum, just going on these extremely cold stretches to start off games, he started off like 0-6 from the field through like 18 minutes of, of the game. And I'm just thinking, like, dude, come on. Like, this is supposed to be the number one option, the, like the next guy up. Um in the league one of the potential faces of the league and we're kind of not getting the performances that we would like to see he has still ended up with 36 points which is like you know i'm not bashing him by any stretch because 36 points is 36 points and i don't think that efficiency should completely matter or be the end-all be-all in the playoffs but shooting 11 of 27 and from the field three of 11 from downtown at a in a home game in a must-win situation, certainly disheartening. Jalen Brown with 
24 points, 9 of 16 from the field. It, it certainly felt like he should be like the number one option. And this has been one of these issues that I've had with this Boston Celtics team, which, you know, they're continuing to adapt to, you know, from the loss of Ime Udoka. And, you know, they're really embodying Missoula ball, which is a, just a much more uh, run and gun, um, modern offense. We're seeing guys run out on the break. We're seeing teams, this team shoot a bunch of three point shots as we've saw in this game where we see um, 38 three-pointers jacked up um, today from Boston, including seven from Al Horford, which is just strange to look at. Uh, Derek White's shooting has uh, taken a dip for sure. Grant Williams has all of a sudden just fallen out of the rotation for Boston, which was just a strange revelation or strange development. Malcolm Brogdon has, uh, in this game, shot three of nine from the field off the bench. And there's certainly just not, there's just not a whole lot of confidence here um, for Boston. This was a really embarrassing game for him. And I think a lot of it does come down to just this new system that's come about of, you know, playing traditional, getting to the basket or shooting the three ball. And I think that's kind of been the downfall for a number of these players, particularly with Jason Tatum, who is still a special talent and I believe will have a bounce back game next game. But I kind of look at Jason Tatum and I'm thinking, like, he really, really moved away from the mid range jump shot, which was, I thought, was an elite part of his game over the past several seasons where we could go ahead and say like that played a part in people calling him the next Kobe Bryant. Sure. But uh, he's completely abandoned it and has really embodied Missoula ball, which is not a bad thing at all because he's still, he still put up 30 points per game uh, in this system. And he has been elite this entire season, but uh, Tatum moving away from that, uh, you know, the mid range shot and kind of, playing in that way has kind of limited the the scoring arsenal of this entire team where we're not going to be seeing the those gimme shots, those gimme mid-range jump shots from anybody outside of Jason Tatum that uh, I think is probably like the, the one pure scorer, uh, probably the better three-level scorer uh, on that team. And I think that J- Jalen Brown should be getting a little bit more shots up uh, at least like match what, uh, you know, the amount of shots that Jason Tatum is putting up, you know, 27 to 16, I think is a pretty drastic change. And Jalen Brown is doing that efficiently as well. Boston isn't in trouble by any stretch because I do think that they have the talent necessary and have the, the hot streaks necessary to go ahead and uh, come back in game six, potentially win a game seven even. I can't really ever count them out, but it's looking grim for sure. And I think that uh, in order for them to get back into this thing, it, it really relies on uh, Tatum continuing to improve in these first quarters and in these first halves because they can't afford a slow start, especially with how well the 
Sixers have navigated the Celtics offense, and that's going to be the real turning point in the series if something does end up giving. But uh, I think that was really... I think that was it. I think that I'm going to save a bunch of my off-season talk for later, uh, a bunch of my draft content for later. But uh, this was a good little good little check-in. I really have enjoyed this playoff so far. It's certainly been up there. Um, you know, I obviously have a bias for the 2021 playoffs, but I do think that it was a good playoffs. I think 2019 is probably the best playoffs that I've ever seen uh, outside of this one. But like this one is very, it's getting closer to being the best playoffs that I've ever seen. Because man, the shot making from every team pretty much has been out of this world and it's been really fun just to keep up with all of this and i hope everybody else is keeping up with this stuff because man we might not see anything else like it for a while i'll say that but uh, i appreciate you guys listening to this i'm trying to i'm trying to get my advertisements back man and uh, I, I don't really do this and ask for favors or anything like that but i, I am trying to reach a uh, hundred different Spotify listeners uh, in the ne- within the next two months. I'm at 25 right now. If I could get some help from like a reposting standpoint, going ahead and sharing it with others, because I'm I'm really trying to get back on the grind. I think that I'm getting better with the uploads and whatnot, and um, you know. I do this because I enjoy doing, uh, I enjoy making content. I enjoy doing this sort of stuff, but uh, I think that this will be another step forward. And if I could uh, have some help with that, I would really appreciate it from you guys. Again, I appreciate you guys for listening. Go follow my Twitter at Ian B. Monhey. Um, that's where you'll get the bulk of my other thoughts and opinions and whatnot. And uh, go follow the TikTok at uh, 3 Pete Sports. And again, I appreciate you guys for listening. You guys have an amazing day. Thank you, guys.